Hello, dreamers. We are, I mean, I probably say this at the beginning of every episode, but this one is going to be out of this world. Out of this world. I was waiting for you to say that. (laughs) (laughs) This one, we're going to be shooting for the stars. Yes. We got to say all that fun stuff. We got to say all the fun stuff. We have a super exciting guest. I'm going to let Carly take this one away because she invited him to be a part of this. We have not only is he an author, a motivational speaker, a professor, but he is an astronaut, Mr. Clayton Anderson. Welcome. Hi, guys. It's great. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? You look happy. Oh, we are. We are ecstatic. Yeah, very excited. This is a really cool interview for us, and I'm blown away, so... Well, and I'm coronavirus free since 1959. Ooh, yes, 1959. Look at that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, why don't you just say hello to our listeners? Tell them a little bit about yourself. I mean, we're, we're super excited for them to hear all about you. Well, um, it's great to be with you guys today. I'm coming to you from League City, Texas, which is southeast of the metropolis of Houston. Um, I am a retired United States astronaut, having spent 30 years working for NASA at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And that 30 years was broken into 15 as an engineer and then 15 as an astronaut. Um, As an astronaut, I flew into space twice. I have 167 days living and working in space to my credit, and I performed six spacewalks over that time. Uh, My last flight was in 2010. My first flight was in 2007, uh, where I lived on the International Space Station for five months. Um, And the way I know Carly, (laughs) because my name Clayton Anderson, well, I am the real Clayton Anderson. Get that out there. Yeah. Uh, And there's this other dude, I guess he's from Indiana or something, and he carries a guitar around a lot. And... um, uh, he is, is a singer, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what happened was my Twitter handle is Astro Clay and his Twitter handle is Clayton Anderson. And what happened was many people confused me with him and I would get tweets that said, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to go to Clayton Anderson's concert. I can't wait. And so I would tweet back and I would say, well, you know what? I bet he's really excited that you're coming, but I'm not him. And so it turned out that he and I reached out to each other via this Twitter connection that we had no idea uh, existed at first. And we have since become friends and um, we love the fact that we get to play on each other's name. And Clayton came to Houston and we gave him a tour of NASA. And then I went to Nashville and, and met all his uh, compadres there and had a great time. So that's kind of how I've come to be on the show today, I'm guessing. Yes, yes, that is a little bit. And I and I just want to even say, too, like, that tour that you gave us in Houston was, like, all my childhood dreams come, come true, honestly. Like, he took us through every piece and every kind of, like, part of his journey, even while aboard, you know, in space. Because it's like, you don't think about these little things that they go through and they have to do and kind of you have to adapt to this new way of living. And I mean, it, it was just amazing. Like I would go in a heartbeat. So if you ever want us to come down, bring us down. <laughs> well, I was living vicariously through you. Cause yeah. I remember seeing photos from Clayton and, and Carly on yeah. their, on their uh, social media. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like every kid's dream come true. That's why I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. Like I'm grinning ear to ear. Yeah. So I'm like I'm talking to a real astronaut right, right now. I know. <laughs> That's oh. so well, cool. Just so you know, we told her, 
to Clayton Anderson's at NASA was NASA's worst nightmare. Yes, yeah, it was. Imagine. In the control room, everyone was like, oh, no, there's oh, two of them. Oh, no. <laughs> like, what do we do now? Oh, it was so much fun, though. I thank you for that experience because it was, it was one of a kind for sure. So it was our pleasure. We enjoyed meeting you and, and we, we look to a lasting relationship with you guys. So absolutely. And fun fact though, if people, I mean, people might know about you, but if they don't, that you're very musically inclined as well. So there's another little, um, kind of connection you had with Clayton is that recently you wrote a song with him and we were just talking about, hopefully next year we'll be able to, to present that to people. And, uh, I mean, I know me and you've talked and you've said that you believe music and science goes hand in hand. And I mean, I just love that because I, I really do. I do feel that exact same way as well. Absolutely. You know, the people talk about STEM all the time, science, technology, engineering, and math, but I'm a big believer that it should be steam. You should add the A in there for arts, because Mm -hmm. if you look at it, when Clayton plays his guitar, that's physics. He plucks that string. The string vibrates at the resonant frequency that the, the, the it's tuned to by the little thing on the end and mm-hmm. makes music with that, right? And then somebody that comes and paints a picture of Clayton at a concert, they're using chemistry, right? Because as soon as they start mixing their paints and putting it on a certain surface that absorbs the pain or doesn't absorb the pain or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's a chemistry lesson. So uh, I had the wonderful opportunity to be at South by Southwest with uh, some singers, Barry Zito, and um, oh, now I'm going to forget the lovely lady's name, country and western singer. Oh, Leanne Womack. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sitting on the stage with Leanne Womack and Barry Zito and, and talking about music and education and how important it is. Uh, and they agreed, especially Leanne, that, you know, having music and art and the curriculum is hugely important. So, um, like you said, Carl, I'm a big advocate, big, 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 big. I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I second that as well. I've been a musician all my life and, and even, yeah, you're saying science and arts and it, that it's like, if that's where the creativity kind of comes in, I feel like, you know, it's the science and, mm-hmm. and that, and where you get to play around and experiment and sound and and yeah physics and all that so yeah no i definitely agree yeah that's it, really cool it's like a little equation every time <clears throat> yeah. you do it absolutely and oh, the yeah. guys in the, in the sound booth that are working the electronics you mm-hmm. know i i took a physics course on electronics back in the 80s <laughs> you know and it's it's just really important and it's really important to kids and a lot of times i find that the kids that are maybe a little underprivileged uh, their hot button is something like music, right? So for an mm-hmm. educator in the classroom and who has a kid that they can't really reach sometimes, if you find their hot button and if it's music, oh my gosh, you've just opened up an entire channel to challenge. And, and then you show that child how music and art and math and physics and all go together. Uh, yeah. I think it's important. Absolutely. I always will. And I love educators. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, you, yeah, you, along that same line, Mm -hmm. you are an educator, correct, at Iowa State, and you happen to also write children's books. So tell us a little bit about those, those for you and and how being an educator is. Sure. First, I'll do a shameless plug. A shameless plug, yes. For my new book, Letters from Space, 
And the illustrator is from uh, Budapest, Hungary. Her name is Susan Battery. Uh, oh, just so you know, the guy on the cover, that's me. <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> Looks just like me, doesn't it? Looks just like Identical. <laughs> so um, when I retired from NASA, I had a really dear friend named Nevada Barr. I don't know if you, if you read Murder Mysteries, Nevada is a New York Times bestseller 20 times over with her murder mysteries that feature Anna Pigeon, and Anna is a park ranger. And Anna goes from park to park to park uh, as part of her assignment with the U.S. government, and she typically uncovers a murder. <laughs> and they're pretty amazing books. I've read them all. She's really good. And I met her in Savannah, Georgia one year uh, before I'd ever flown as an astronaut, but I was an astronaut at the time. And so Nevada uh, and I became dear friends, and she tried to convince me to write a murder mystery. Um, but I said, hey, you know, I don't read <laughs> that yet. And so I wrote a memoir called or The Ordinary Spaceman. That was my first book. And then I followed that up with my first children's book, A is for Astronaut, which was a huge success. Um, then I went back and wrote It's a Question of Space, which is a book based on questions that people submit to me on the internet uh, on a platform called Quora.com. And then I answer those questions. So I compiled those into a book. And then finally, uh, the folks Sleeping Bear Press that did the first children's book came back and they wanted me to do another project. And that's where Letters from Space comes in. So, and I hope we'll do more, but uh, that's, that's where I am today. So that's that's so awesome that's mm -hmm. so cool to hear and how like your journey kind of has evolved and meeting all these cool people which led you to writing children's books like and to inspire these you know children with the, the books and space and all that that's amazing where can people find your book uh it's easy to go to amazon.com <clears throat> that's kind of a one-stop shop uh if you go to unifyspace.com well i'm sorry let me ch change that unify good dot com slash goods uh you can buy it there and you can get it autographed and then you can go to www.astroclay.com and you can also get them autographed uh through that venue as well and we're working on a new launch of a new website for me that's coming out very soon and uh that'll be all updated and have all the cool bells and whistles and folks will be able to find everything because there's astro clay merchandise that you can purchase and uh, in addition to the books, so. Aw, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a fun time. It's a very exciting time. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, it's super exciting for you. It's just crazy, like you said, how, how your dreams kind of evolved or evolved in, and just like, I don't know, you've gotten to do so much, so many different things. Yeah. Um, it, it helps when you're an astronaut. We uh, <laughs> just love it. Does. Well, but I'm not, I'm not a famous astronaut. I mean, I'm working on it. <laughs> there are other astronauts way more famous than me. And I'm the first and only one from the state of Nebraska. Yes. I'm very proud of that fact. Uh, I'm the only one from Iowa State University. And I'm very proud of that fact. So I like, that's why my book's called The Ordinary Spaceman. I like to think I'm the ordinary kid from the Midwest. So. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, on, on that note as well, something we like to ask is to kind of like reflect back and when you were a kid, was your dream to be an astronaut or did that happen later in life? How did that work out? Yeah, I, I've had several dreams. I wanted to be a professional athlete, right? I wanted to play <laughs> football. I wanted to be a pro basketball player. And of course, 
I didn't really have the skill set for that. It turned out, <laughs> um, I didn't learn that till later. But uh, then the other two that I wanted, and Carly probably doesn't know this, but I wanted to be a singer. Oh. Uh, you know, I my dream. Clayton sings country western, and and I'm kind of a contemporary Christian singer. Mm-hmm. And that's where I can do other stuff, but that's kind of where I gravitated to because I played the piano and the organ in, in church most of my life. And so um, I wanted to be that guy singing in front of an orchestra or, you know, and behind me. I just thought that would be so cool. <laughs> I haven't done it, but uh, I, I think it would be cool. But then the third thing was when I was young, my mom and dad got my brother and sister and I up on Christmas Eve in 1968, and they plopped us down in front of black and white TV. You guys are too young to know what a black and white TV is. But we watched uh, Apollo 8, and Apollo 8 was going to be the guys that went behind the moon for the first time and came back. Um, and as we sat there and watched this black and white TV, it's a bunch of guys. It's guys with crew cuts and white shirts and skinny black ties and pocket protectors, and they're smoking cigarettes, and they got glasses on. If they're the glasses, they got those big black thick glasses, you know. <clears throat> and by the way, ladies, we've since fixed it. It's not just men. Yes. We, we're watching this, and that's all you see, and you hear what they're talking about. And uh, I remember as a nine-year-old kid sitting there, and I was just like, wow. And I heard the flight director, the guy that's in charge of the room, he said, I need a go, no go for translunar injection burn. And then he calls out all the position. Retro. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> go. <laughs> Fido, go! Chipo, go! Capcom, go! Everybody was go, you know, and then he calls the Apollo 8 guys and he says, are you guys going? I'm thinking, do they really have a choice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they gave the go and they made the burn and they make it around the, the moon and they come back on the other side after about 15 minutes of st- <laughs> and then I heard them talk again and I was like, oh, I want to do that. That is so cool. I was nine, right? So I had no idea what it took. I had no idea where my life would take me. You know, it was just a little kid that wanted to be a pro football player, or a little kid that wanted to be a pro basketball player. Here I was, oh, I want to be an astronaut. Yeah. It would turn out, fortunately for me, that when I went to Hastings College in Hastings, Nebraska, a four-year Presbyterian school, that a 1960 graduate of Hastings College worked for NASA at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And he came to Hastings, the Nebraska area, every fall to hunt pheasant. And my senior year in college, he hunts pheasants with the career guidance counselor at Hastings College. And they start to, you know, they're tromping through the woods, waiting for the birds. And he says, hey, what do you do? Well, I work at NASA in Houston. You do? Did you know we we have a kid here? He loves NASA. And the guy says, Really? And yeah, and, and the NASA guy says, well, does he know we have a summer internship program? And the guidance counselor says, no, I don't think he does. Well, we do. Well, how would he get information? Well, I can send it to him. And so the next thing you know, uh, I'm on the telephone, right? We didn't have this. We didn't have Zoom, yeah. no cell phone. So I'm on a rotary dial telephone. <laughs> Some dude in Houston, Texas at the Johnson Space Center getting interviewed uh, to be a summer intern. And I got selected. I was one of 40. Uh, young people chosen out of about 480 that applied, I guess. Uh, I got selected. I went to Houston in 1981 for the summer for the first time, and I worked at NASA, and I hated it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the people they put me with 
through no fault of their own, they weren't ready to have a young kid, right? That they needed to keep busy. And so the things they gave me were hugely simple for me to do. And they'd give it to me thinking it would take me a couple of weeks and I'd give it back to them in a couple of days. And they'd go, you're done? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so then they'd have to scramble to figure out something else. But the, the, I got selected the next summer and I said to NASA, I would really like to go work in a group that does this because that's what I was studying in graduate school at Iowa State. And they accommodated me. I met these guys. I was in this group. It was perfect. I came back full time a year later and worked there for 15 years uh, before my application for astronaut was accepted. So, oh my wow. gosh. Yeah, it, I mean, it just shows you got to have a little luck in life, right? You got to be at the right place at the right time and work hard and do the right thing, but you still have to have a little luck along the way. Yeah. Well, and I think even just like telling people how, how much you loved NASA, this stuff, like, you know, for that to, that message down, yeah. To, yeah, to trickle over to somebody and uh, it's luck, but I also feel like I really do believe in the law of attraction and manifestation. So it's like, you know, if you're thinking it, it's, there's opportunities that are around if you have your eyes open to it. Yeah. But sure. yeah, and that's what, that's what young people have to remember is that if you see it up here, you, you can go get it. You can go do what it takes. Now, if you take somebody like Clayton Anderson, the singer, if he couldn't sing, right, if he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket and he dreamed of being a country and Western singer, he, it wouldn't matter how hard he tried or how hard he worked. If he can't sing, right, yeah. that's a job that he, that's hard for him to do. And that's the only thing that keeps someone from reaching all of their dreams or the dream that they choose. But you also have to be realistic and you have to bring your passion to, to what you dream, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people say that it's all about if you're passionate about it, you can live it. Well, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But mm -hmm. if you bring your skill set that God gave you and you're passionate with that skill set, you can accomplish amazing things. Oh, yeah. Wow, I, I think that's that. a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. This is just, yeah. like, this is such a cool conversation. Yeah. And I already feel so inspired. And I know that the listeners, like, you know, are just probably amped up right now. This is this is so cool Absolutely. to hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just along those 15 years of you waiting to get, um, you know, your application for to be an astronaut accepted, can you tell us about, like, those obstacles, some of the, some of the greatest obstacles you encountered going into that? Because I think, obviously, we always think obstacles are important for people to, to know and to hear. Well... It takes, right, you have to meet certain minimum requirements to even be eligible to be an astronaut. And in 1983, having just gotten a master's degree, I was at that minimum level of qualification, right? I hadn't really done anything in my life except gone to school and gotten a degree or two. Mm -hmm. Here I sat with a master's degree in aerospace engineering, and I submitted my first application using a, a thing we call a typewriter. <laughs> I hope you're familiar with a typewriter. Typewriter. Then we had a little bottle of stuff with white stuff in it called whiteout, you know, <laughs> to, to correct mistakes. But um, I wasn't even eligible fully at that time because I'd just gotten a master's degree and, and the rules require that you have a year of, or two, I forget what it was, of experience at work, right, with that degree before you're officially eligible to apply. But I applied anyway using another good philosophy for young people that I tell them, don't ever tell yourself no, mm -hmm. right? Let someone else tell you no. Mm -hmm. So 
if you think you want to be an astronaut and you can't see very well, uh, oh, I shouldn't apply because my eyes aren't good enough. No, apply and let the doctors tell you your eyes aren't good enough. Mm-hmm. It filled out all that every year for 15 years and didn't get an interview till year 13. So, you know, getting rejected all the time or, or not really rejected, but not hearing back, I would say, I would send in my application. I'd get a little card that said, hey, we got your application. Thank you. And then that's all I'd ever hear. So I just kept working. I loved working for NASA. If I never got picked to be an astronaut, I was in a pretty good place. I was happy with my job. I was making money. I was, you know, meeting people. I was having fun. And then in year 13, my wife and I thought, well, that's a long time. I don't think I'm going to ever get picked. So we flew to Seattle to meet with some friends from my hometown and maybe pursue work with Boeing in the Seattle area or somebody like that. And um, it turns out we came back from that trip kind of disappointed that we really didn't have an opportunity to shake hands with hobnob with the right people. But uh, when I came back, one of the first things that happened was I got a call from the astronaut selection group and they invited me for my first interview. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. At that point, screw Seattle. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting interviewed for an astronaut. And, um, I did not get selected in year 13, but I was in front of the committee. Uh, I shared my story. Then a year later, I applied. They didn't select astronauts. And then in year 15 was when I got another interview and was actually selected. So I got chills. I I, I did too. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was was pretty cool. And if you read The Ordinary Spaceman, there's a good chapter in there about that day, what happened, how I got selected. I was with my wife in Florida. Uh, We were looking for manatees, and and I had a thing called a pager on my belt, and my pager went off. (laughs) I looked at my pager, and I saw this number, and I, who the hell is that? And I think, I said, oh, I think they want you, Susan, my wife, because she was an important NASA person. And uh, we called that number back, and I said, hey, this is Clayton Anderson. I'm, I'm calling this number back. I have no idea. I think you want my wife, Susan, perhaps? And she said, no, hold on. And she puts me on hold, and the next voice I hear is the head of the astronaut office in the middle of, you know, the Canaveral lock station looking for manatees. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, wow. it was very exciting, but no one was around except, and there weren't even any manatees. We couldn't tell them either. <laughs> you know, it's like, who do we tell? Who do we tell? And <laughs> Where are the manatees? <laughs> yeah. Aww. Well, wow. That's just such yeah. a story of, like, perseverance, um, like hope yeah all these things it makes it just like carly and i seriously got goosebumps at the same time i mean i actually could have cried right there and just knowing like you uh, you know application and you sent in the applications and you you know kept your positivity but just knowing like it'll you know it'll happen if it's supposed to happen and then almost having that moment of just kind of being like well maybe it's not meant to happen and, and then, then it, it comes to you, yeah. Like, it's crazy. that just makes me so happy. I know, you know, Carly and I, obviously, living in Nashville and we're within the music industry, you know, I'm a, I'm a singer-songwriter and I've been here for 10 years and Carly's been here for, you know, five years, per, you know, doing her stuff in the music industry side. But it's just, that's such a cool thing to hear your dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, don't give up. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and the opportunity will come around when it's meant to yeah. and how it's meant to. So, oh. Yeah, yeah you, just, you have to be prepare yourself and and, yeah. and be patient and just love life, right? A lot of people ask me, "Well, how do you become an astronaut?" I, I'm thinking of oh, I actually had one guy sit down with me, 
and he was thinking about getting married, but he was going to postpone getting married because he thought it would hurt his chances of being an astronaut. And I said, oh, my gosh, dude, get your life in order, right? Mm-hmm. Do your life. Do what makes you happy. Find things that are fun and, and in, inviting and invigorating and challenging for you and just live that life. And then you do the other stuff on the side, right? You write music and you sing and you're in a club and somebody hears you one night and they go, whoa, I yeah. need you know, you never know. Yeah. Right? But you're having fun. If you're having fun at, at that club singing and you do it every couple of weeks or whatever it is. And I know we went with Carly to that one place. I, I don't remember the name of the club, but the, uh, oh. where people just came every week and just sang. They sat yeah. up and they sang their songs. And I think it was a local. Yeah, I think it was yeah. local. He did the songwriters round. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because people yeah. are just up there. They're, they love what they're doing. They're singing from their heart. And who knows who comes in that door one day and says, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty good. I like that. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like in awe because this is such an amazing conversation and I'm, I'm so excited for our listeners to even, you know, hear this and, and get your, your books out there to people who might not know and, um, just introduce you. Like you said, you, you might not be the most famous astronaut, but I was like, I'm always like, Hey, I've never been to space, but I know a guy. (laughs) No guy's been to space. No guy's been to space. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That'll get you. Yeah. Coffee at a Starbucks. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, just in like my kind of thinking of, of space and astronauts and, and to dream about all that stuff, what is the experience mm-hmm. of space like? And I know Carly said, you know, it's just, you have to prepare because you're adjusting to a different environment. Like, how does that all work? Well, the, the training is, I don't think it's difficult in a, um, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's not that hard of, of technical stuff, right? Yeah, I studied physics and I studied aerospace engineering and, and you have to have the prerequisites just to be able to understand the concepts. But when you begin to train to live and work in space, it's a lot like beginning to train to live and work in Antarctica or to live and work in Colorado in the mountains or, or the deserts of Saudi Arabia, right? There, there are thir- certain things you have to learn and know. You have to know how to run the toilet. You have to know how to run the uh, air conditioning system or the kitchen. And if it breaks, you have to be able to fix. I mean, it's kind of like living in a house. It's just a unique house in a very unique location. And so to, to learn all that <clears throat> is more of a volume exercise. How much can I hear? How much can I retain? How much can I understand and keep in my brain before I have to pull out uh, my cheat sheet? And I think the, I was trying to see if I had my my wife rearranged my study. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> like, here's one of my books with my notes that I took to space, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So there's no way that this dinosaur-sized pea brain <laughs> remember all that stuff. They're astronauts way smarter than me. Yeah. But you're, they train you the best you can. You get up there. Now you start to live. And that's when it becomes fun is when you're floating in zero G and you're living in space and you're looking at the earth 250 miles below. And every day you wake up and there's something uh, to look at that's different or to to challenge you that you have to fix the toilet or you have to fix the air conditioning system or you have to install a new piece of equipment. Um, I was never bored for five months. I mean, maybe 
two days, I think I tell people that I woke up and I was like, oh man, this is boring. And I tried to play Tiger Woods video golf one time. <laughs> that was a disaster because it took four hours just to load the game onto the computer so I could play it. And then when I got it loaded and I tried to play it, it was like I didn't have a hand joystick like the Atari or the Nintendo, yeah. whatever. I had to do it all on a little keypad and it was, this is, I'm not doing this anymore. So I just quit doing it. But uh, for the most part, every day was different. Um, yeah. The big milestones were spread out so that I would do this. You know, I arrived and then my next thing was a spacewalk. And then the next thing was uh, another crew coming to visit. And then the next thing was the ro robotic arm and moving a big module to move it to another spot. And then the next thing was coming home. So yeah. everything for me was very luckily spaced out. So I didn't have time to really get bored. Yeah. That's so cool. I can't even imagine just waking up and looking down at earth, you know, yeah. or like seeing like, how's that for a feeling, you yeah. know, seeing the world on earth right there. Like that's, that's crazy. I used to have to wake up. If I woke up early and Fyodor and Oleg were my Russian crewmates and they lived in the Russian end of the station. And that's where all the good windows were for looking and taking pictures. And so if they were already up, they were already in the windows taking photos, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. It was really hard for me to nudge them out of the way and get an opportunity to take <laughs> And so if I woke up before they did uh, on the weekends or something, I would zoom down there and I would sit in the window, float above the window and just look and take pictures for a while. And that was always very pleasing to me, very pleasurable. Gosh. Wow, what a magical experience. Yeah. How about your spacewalks too? I mean, can you <laughs> describe a little bit of, of that feeling for... Yeah, spacewalks are cool. Um, you're in your own little spaceship. You, my first one was pretty amazing. Um, it was in July of 2007, actually on July 23rd. Um, I was the lead spacewalker and I was going outside with Fyodor, a Russian. And Fyodor was so funny. He was the commander of the space station and he and Oleg did two Russian spacewalks uh, a couple months before July. And so they had never done spacewalks before either. But now Fyodor was kind of the expert <laughs> and he used to float up to me the week before we were going to go outside. He'd say, go slowly, go slowly. Think. And I'd look at him and I'd say, good advice. Thank you, Fyodor. And he'd fly off and then he'd come back a couple of days later, play spacewalk, go slow. Think. <laughs> and uh, so it was really funny when open the hatch and, and it's totally black. We're looking at the earth and the sun's behind the earth so you can't see anything except the icicles that are coming from the back of my spacesuit from my air conditioning system and they're being pulled out into space because space is a vacuum right so there's a little bit of pressure still in the airlock that are just shoving these icicles to the darkness and i'm floating there with holding on with two fingers in my spacesuit looking at the blackness of, of space with icicles just flying out and disappearing and it was so cool because all i could think of was i was born to be here mm -hmm. right now doing this yeah gosh wow what a surreal magical thing yeah i like this is so pretty cool. cool yeah yeah and the way you describe it too i can just picture myself right there you know yeah. it's it's oh what a beautiful sight that would have been yeah absolutely yep and then I remember going outside and Fyodor, I, I go outside first and you hook up all your safety tethers for each of you so that, you know, you're not going to fall off the station. And, <laughs> yeah. 
and Fyodor comes finally comes out and and he keeps wanting to hand me this thing. I say, Fyodor, that's not supposed to come outside. We're supposed to leave that in. He just keeps keeps handing it to me. So I finally took it and said, okay, and I clicked it off. And then he comes out, and the next thing I know, he disappears. <laughs> oh gosh. And I'm thinking, Clay, go slow. <laughs> and so finally I go, Fyodor, and I finally had to kind of yell at him in Russian, you know, Astanavitsi Chas. And so I told him, hey, stop, dude. We're supposed to do this together. Start here. Come on back. And he came back, which was good. But And then we were out there for seven hours and 41 minutes. <laughs> You're like, he gone. I was like, you just see him floating away like, um, go slow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so all that he was telling me, you know, he just, shoo, he's gone. Yeah. Gosh. Because he's a vet- veteran spacewalker. Yeah. So. One more before you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I'd love it. And yeah, I did. I forgot you knew some. You had to learn some Russian. You know. To- yeah, that was one of the hardest things. I loved yeah. it. I was I was decent at it. I didn't try very hard. You know, I could have studied harder. Yeah. But I kind of have the gift of gab, as you figured out. And, <laughs> and I love to listen to Russian speakers, and that's how I learn. Right? You give me a song. Um, if I hear it a few times, I can do it. Uh, yeah also read the music but that's not as fun as just listening and singing yeah um it was funny though <laughs> we were i was in nashville with clayton and we were at the what, music hall that place oh yeah music hall fam, yeah. yeah and we went up on the stage and and clayton said well let's sing something and he goes <laughs> he goes what songs do you know and i go i don't know i really don't know any that you would know <laughs> but fortunately he starts we start singing the circle of the unbroken and i kind of know that one and it wouldn't have taken me long to yeah get into the whole thing but it was fun to sing a couple lines of that with him in that music hall and yeah oh. so <laughs> i remember yeah evan was snapping photos for us in there and yeah i, I mean definitely i'm going to share some of some of the fun things we had on our on our um podcast stories when your episode comes out i'll share some of the space station some of the time in nashville and mm-hmm. just kind of do a little recap because yeah, that the Houston and the Nashville trip are just so much fun. And I mean, like, I just remember one of the coolest things out of the Houston trip was the, um, what's the pool called? Oh, the Neutral Buoyancy Lab. Yeah, the Neutral Buoyancy Lab, where they go in this huge pool that acts as almost like the outside of the space station where they can go and practice fixing things. Am I correct in that? Fixing things yeah. outside the station. And it's like, it's as close as you can get to the actual real feeling of being, being outside. And it was amazing. Like that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And we got to see your friend come out of the the water, talk to him for a little bit. And, but they're down there. How long are you down there training? Usually 9am to 3pm. So six hours straight, unless you're really good at what you're doing or you, you know, you can sometimes shorten it just by being efficient. But most of the time, if you finish what you're supposed to do, they'll ask you if you want to look at anything again. And a lot of astronauts will do something else to try to enhance their skill. But I know that when we trained for STS-131, it was me and a guy named Rick Mastracchio. We were both veteran spacewalkers. So when we finished our tasks, we said, we're getting out. (laughs) Yeah. Which was good because in that six hours, you have a set of divers that go with you for the first two. Mm-hmm. They come out, a new set comes in, and then they come out, and then the first set comes back in for the last two hours. So anytime we could finish in four hours such that the 
first set of divers didn't have to go back in. We were their heroes. So. Yeah. So yeah, we worked really hard. Um, yeah. Okay. To finish, because imagine being in scuba gear for two hours, and you get out and you shower, and you have to put that nasty, wet scuba gear back on and go in for two more hours. It's, yeah. It, it can be a tough day. So if we could shorten it for them, absolutely. They were very appreciative. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait to share. I'll share some of those videos and things. Yeah. Um, but that that was truly amazing for me to witness too. So it much for me too. <laughs> so surreal. That's um, cool. But um also like I kind of want to ask you too is, you know, your book that you wrote with all the questions that people have asked you, is there a few questions that you like some of your favorite questions that people have asked you that you would like to kind of share with us? Well, there's always the how do you go to the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a famous one. And my answer is typically just like you go to the bathroom on earth, except <laughs> the vacuum cleaner. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And the other fun part of, you know, going to the bathroom in space, number one's pretty easy because it's just peeing and you have a hose with a funnel on the end. So you just get close to the funnel and you turn on the machine and it yep. sucks everything <laughs> in. <laughs> Now you can't pee too fast, right? Because you can overwhelm the suction. But if you tie, if you're gentle, <laughs> you can pee right in that cone, and it sucks it into a can of Russian kitty litter, is what I call it. That uh, absorbs all that urine, and then as the can fills up, once it's full, you throw the can away and burn it up in the Earth's atmosphere. So the number two is a different thing in that when you're in the bathroom today on Earth. Gravity is your separation factor, and it pulls all that nastiness, right? Mm -hmm. Think about it. You just pee, and you just poo, and it goes pink. <laughs> flush, and it's gone, and you don't even have to worry about it, right? Well, in space, you don't have that separation factor, so uh, you have to create your own. Mm -hmm. And some people like to do the Miley Cyrus twerk, and but that's a very dangerous thing to do in space. So I never chose that one. I used what I call the slide scissors and push you guys want to try it with me here oh, no. <laughs> slide, scissors push now just reach behind oh, no. slide, scissors push yeah oh my gosh that's it, crazy and it's funny because there's like models of these space stations when we were in houston and and clayton uh, the other clayton was taking pictures in the in the bathroom and i think you were as well but i'll have to show you some of those oh, gosh. pictures too because it's yeah. just a wild concept. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. God. Fun fact. Fun fact. Yeah. yeah and you, I had to get, I learned really fast that the best way to go poop in space was to get totally naked. Mm -hmm. Clothes under a handrail so you didn't have to worry about any of that, right? Because, you know, in, in zero G, everything mm -hmm. floats. Oh, and yeah. so you don't want to have stuff get in the way. So I take all my clothes off, put them out of the way do my duty and then clean up and clean up obviously is the most important, right? That's mm -hmm. why you have a rubber glove on that slide scissors push hand. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know, right? <laughs> it's like people can't, go to, can't yeah. go to the sink and wash up after. Yeah. 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 But it's funny because, you know, with every profession and everything, when people think it's so glamorous and, and all these things, it's like, Hey, let me take you down a notch and let me tell you like sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's not so glamorous. When, yeah. You know, but it's yeah. important for people to know that too. Yeah. Gosh, oh my gosh. So Very fun. important thing. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my God. Well, um, another question that we kind of like to to end with and and you know, 
really important for our listeners is your greatest advice that you would give to other dreamers? Um, good question. I think that uh, we, we can kind of reiterate a couple things I said before and that um, I truly believe that everyone is just like me. I'm a small town kid from the Midwest who grew up, you know, playing in the playground and going to small school and living in a town with people that cared about me. Right. So um, if everyone can think that they're just like me and then think about that skill set and their passion and bringing their passion with whatever skill set they have, then they should look for those things that make them happy and excite them. So I tell kids and when I teach it, I will say, give give me two imaginary buckets, one in the left hand and one in the right hand. And as you go through life, you put things in the, I really like this bucket. And then you put, oh, I didn't like that. You put it over here in this other bucket. But as you walk through life, you carry both buckets because it may turn out that you meet a professor or you meet Clayton Anderson or you meet Carly and, and something that you do with that person causes you to say, you know what, maybe I should take that thing I didn't think I liked and put it over here in the I like it button. Because as you grow as a person, your likes and dislikes, your understandings change. And so those buckets have to be living buckets. They have, they're not stagnant. They're not, once I put you in the, I hate doing this bucket, I'm never going to look at it again. Uh, and, and if people take that philosophy with them and continue to look into those buckets, I think they'll find the things that they love. And if you find things that you love and you bring passion to doing those things, uh, you'll be successful in whatever endeavor it is, whether it's teaching, being a musician, being a veterinarian, being an astronaut, uh, police officer, Absolutely. all those things. Gosh, that's great advice. I love that. I love that too. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, thank you so much for, for taking time with us. And, and I mean, this has been an amazing episode for us and an interview. Yeah. Um, one thing else I want to make sure is that tell people where, if they want to follow you on social media, if they want to follow you, your website again and, and all that. And good your stuff. books. And, and your and books. Like, yeah. yeah. Everybody's got to check out the books. I am Astro Clay. So if you Google Astro Clay on the internet, you should be able to find my Twitter, which is Astro Clay, my Facebook, Astro Clay, my uh, Instagram, Astro Clay. Mm-hmm. There are various forms of whatever their syntax is, but it's always Astro Clay. And uh, if you, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Quora.com is the question and answer website. Um, and then my website is AstroClay.com. And that's where you should be able to buy any of the books you see above my bald head up there. And then the other website that's important is unifygood.com. And there's a slash Astro Clay tab. So you can find me for speeches. You can find me for merchandise and and all that. And we're trying to consolidate all that into my astroclay.com new website that should come out uh, before the end of this month. So perfect. uh, I would encourage everybody... You know, you can go to Amazon.com now and buy my books because people, you know, read them and then sell them again. So you can get them cheap and (laughs) maybe they're even autographed. And and you can learn what's behind who I am. And and that's a big thing is I'm who I am because of the people that made me. 
the, mm-hmm. the teachers, the my family, my church, my uh, community, my college, all that stuff. That's why I am who I am today, and I'm proud of all of that. So, you guys have been wonderful. I'm so excited to be with you. And yes, just Clayton on the cheek and tell him it's from me. Oh, I will. I will. And I can't wait. We'll we'll have to have you come to Nashville again next year and we'll all hang out and we'll have a good time. Yeah. I would enjoy that very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll chat. My pleasure. All right. All right, dreamers. We're going to sign off here. We're wishing you good vibes, good times, and sunshine. Until next time. Dream.